Good morning, guys. We're going to start um, today by watching a video, so draw your attention to the screen. Good morning, guys. I wanted to say thank you so much for having us back. We were back here in um, March of this year. I'm here with my two brothers, Justin and Jordan. Um, I'm married to Kat, and Justin is engaged to Nikki, just so everyone's up to date on that. (laughs) I wanted to take a moment. We are going to continue with your series in Jonah, but I wanted to take a moment and share a little testimony of what we do around the world and how we got there. My brothers and I grew up in a Christian home. And my mom was and still is a special education teacher in the public school system. And at the time, my dad was a piano teacher years ago. And so I remember when one of us would turn seven years old, our birthday gift that year would be piano books. And I remember at the time uh, not thinking that was the best gift for a seven-year-old, you know. But with piano books came piano lessons. And so we began to sit down and we began to practice piano every single week. After, after learning piano for a while, my brother Justin went on to guitar, Jordan went on to bass, I went on to guitars and drums, and we started writing some music together. A couple years after that, my dad felt a call to go into ministry full-time, and he became a pastor. He went on to start his own church called Quest Community Church, and right around that time, um, us as brothers were really praying about how God would use us, and we really felt a calling on our lives to take the music that we had written and to go outside of the walls to church to where people may never have heard about Jesus before. So in the first year, we got a van and a trailer. We started traveling the country singing, and we would take time and tell people about Christ. It came up on our second year in 2007. We were getting ready for uh, another typical year. We had um, decided not to take other jobs. My brothers had graduated early from high school so that we could tour about 250 dates a year. And the second year came up in 2007, and we had an invitation to go visit the country of Ethiopia in Africa. And I remember getting on a plane, and we went over there, and and we got off the plane, and I remember the first thing that we saw was hundreds and hundreds of children sitting on a sidewalk. And they had their hands out like this, and they were begging for things like food and water. Worse than that, though, is I remember going throughout the day and meeting more and more children, and we later learned that that same sidewalk where they were begging for their items is the same sidewalk where they would make their bed that night. Many of these children orphans, orphans that would wake up without a mom or dad to care for them. As we continued throughout our time there in Ethiopia in 2007, we went up to this lake, and I remember watching this one boy in particular. He walked miles to get to this lake. 
when he got there, he had this small little cup and he took this cup and he went to the water and he dipped the cup into the water and he brought it up. And I noticed as I watched him that right next to that child was somebody that was washing their clothes in the same water. Right next to that person was somebody that was washing their dishes in the same water. And right next to that was somebody that had backed their truck into the lake to wash their, their truck with the lake water. That child, having walked miles together, took the cup and he drank the water. He then made his three to four mile hike back to his house. That child ended up dying from the water that he drank. And he drank it because he had no other source of water. That's what he had. I remember visiting a school and learning that children would again walk four to five miles to get to the school. And when they got there, they would have to sit on the dirt floor. I remember noticing that in this community of thousands and thousands of people and of about 1,000 children, that there was no hospitals anywhere for these children. There was no medical clinics or nurses. There wasn't even a doctor for all of the people in this community. At that time, in 2007, I remember sitting down with my brothers and, and, and prior to this trip, we had dreams just like any uh, musician would have. We had written a collection of songs and we really wanted people to hear them. So we wanted to get signed to a major record label and we wanted to go on big tours and we wanted to have you know, a big radio hit and all that stuff, and, and things that musicians dream about. But all of a sudden it felt really funny to go back to the United States after seeing what we saw and continue on trying to become successful in our own lives. So that day in, in 2007, in a little room in Ethiopia, we replaced our dreams as musicians, our dreams of success, with dreams of seeing thousands and thousands of children rescued from poverty. I remember coming back from that trip and telling everybody I could about these kids that we met. We went from city to city telling people just like you about these beautiful children. You see, we wanted to try to bring help to about 200 of them. So that's what we did. We told their stories everywhere we went. By 2009, we were ready to go back. And this time we went back with a team of people. We, we took family and friends. We took our parents. We, we wanted, we wanted um, the people close to us in our lives to experience what we experienced in 2007. So we went back in 2009. We wanted to see, was this really working? You know, all, all this stuff that we've been talking about, is development happening, is change happening in these, these people's lives? And that's what we wanted to see. Guys, we serve an amazing God. Because by the time we went back in 2009, as we were praying for 200 children to be helped, all 1,000 were rescued. We went to that lake that we went to in 2007, and that lake was still there. People, they were still washing their dishes in the water. They were still washing their clothes in the water. They were still washing their trucks with it. But you know what they weren't doing anymore? They weren't drinking the water. Because a brand new clean water well had been put in place. Because of people around the country that, that said, that's not okay that a child dies for lack of clean water. We went to that same school and, and, and children still had to walk miles to get there. But when they got there, they had a desk to sit at. They also had these new school uniforms. They were so proud to wear these uniforms. I remember then coming up on this brand new state-of-the-art hospital that had been put in place. And now all of a sudden when people got sick, they wouldn't die right away. Or they had medicine and they would treat it and they, and they didn't die. They, they were rescued from that poverty because of a hospital being put in place. You see, prior to 2007, I had 
spent a lot of time going to Christian events where I would hear about poverty. I would hear the statistics. I would hear about 25,000 to 30,000 people dying every single day because they didn't have something to eat. I remember hearing about 6,500 orphans dying in Africa because of HIV and AIDS. And, and I was really, honestly, overwhelmed by those statistics because I thought, how can I, one person in America, what could I really do to help 30,000 people around the world? What could I do? What, I don't even know where to start to help 6,500 orphans in Africa. I don't have the money to do it. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get there. So what I ended up doing was nothing at all. But check this out. Mother Teresa said this one time. She said, if you can't feed 1,000 people, feed just one. Feed just one. And I started to look at that, and I said, you know what? You're right. If, if we begin to help one child at a time, then we would see transformation happen in one community at a time. And if we would see one community change, just like we did in Ethiopia, that's how we would see entire countries change. And so what we ended up doing was bringing help to about 1,000 children in Zawai, Ethiopia. After that, we ended up adopting our second community. It's called Bello. It's also in Ethiopia. About 500 children there needed help. Following that then, we were coming up on 2000. Uh, late 2009, and, and uh, Food for the Hungry came to us, and they said, we have another community. It's in a place called Mozambique. It's a, it's a country in Africa. Would you be willing to try to help those children there? We said, absolutely. So we began to, to learn about this community. It's called Gorongosa. We're actually headed there as a band in, in October. And as we were preparing for that trip and learning about the people of Mozambique, in the summer of last year, we had a friend that called us and said, hey, I, I've seen what you've done around the world and I was wondering if you'd be willing to come to Haiti. And I thought, well, as much as I want to go, we have a lot of commitments in Africa already. You know, I'm really afraid to take on another community. So we prayed about it. We committed it to prayer and, and we began to, to talk to close people in our lives and we decided this. We said, okay, we will accept the invitation to go to Haiti, but we'll go there for 10 days and we'll try to share the love of Jesus with the kids, play with them, eat food with them, share the gospel with them. We'll try our best for 10 days to, to really make a difference in their life. But I remember saying this. I said, I can promise you this. We will not get involved with Haiti. That brings us to this part in Jonah. Similar story, right? If you've been following along in this series, you know of this story of a guy that really didn't want to go where God wanted him to go. If you have a copy of the scriptures, would you go to Jonah chapter 4 with me? To bring you up to speed, Jonah really didn't want to go to Nineveh. And according to the book of Nahum, Nineveh's sins included this. They were plotting evil against the Lord, cruelty and war, prostitution, witchcraft, and commercial exploitation. Although Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, as we continue to read, we discover that Jonah had a little encounter with a really big fish, right? As he was trying to run away from God. After his life is spared, Jonah agrees to travel to Nineveh. And as you know, God had compassion on them and does not bring destruction upon them. Let's pick up Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, 
Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sin blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? You see, guys, unlike other biblical prophets, the Lord didn't send Jonah to preach in Israel. Okay, he was sent to Nineveh. There was, there was two major reasons that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. And you can write these down if you want to. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down. But the, the people of Nineveh, you have to understand, were foreigners. Okay, they were Gentiles. They were pagans. Why would they really listen to the God of Israel? The second reason is that these people were the enemy. The Ninevites were the enemy. Let me try to explain this to you a little bit better. This would be like someone from this church deciding to go to your family today, it's your cookout or whatever, and, and proclaiming to your family that you're going to go into one of the enemies of Israel of today, like Pakistan or Iran, and, and saying, I'm going to go into a war zone and I'm going to tell people about God. Would that be well received by your family? I, I wonder even if it would be well received by the Christian culture, you know, because they're supposedly the enemy. But as you know, even though it didn't make sense for Jonah to go to Nineveh in the world's eyes, the Bible says that the Ninevites believed God. Jonah 3, 5, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even when the world said, don't go there, that doesn't make sense to go there. We don't support you in going there. Jonah still went, and God did some amazing things, amen? This past week on Monday, I got back, we got off the road from a long tour and, and we were out doing a major festival run. We were playing a live festival, an Ichthus festival and had an awesome opportunity, man, to, to play with bands like Casting Crowns and Newsboys and Chris Tomlin and, and had the opportunity to lead worship in front of 20,000 people. It was just a beautiful time to just lift up the name of Jesus together. But we got off that tour and I decided to take a day just while we were home in our hometown and, and just have the day off and kind of meet up with some friends and so I decided I would meet up with one of my friends at Panera Bread in Westminster. So I, re- I went there to, to meet him for lunch. And as I was waiting for him, I was sitting outside the restaurant at this little table. And there were several people around me and they were having a discussion. And this one in particular, what, 
they were talking kind of loud, so it kind of grabbed my attention because they started talking about helping other people. I thought, this is kind of cool. And I didn't really interrupt them, but I was just listening, you know. Not 30 seconds into this conversation, one of the gentlemen makes a comment that says, you know, I'm really tired of hearing about people traveling to Africa and, and sending people over to Haiti to help those people there when we have our own problems right here in America. And I thought to myself, if I had a dollar for every reason I heard that in the past 10 years, I would be really rich. Because everywhere I go, I hear that now because of our involvement with helping the nations. And, and I had to decide, I was like, do I jump in and try to explain it? Because I can give them a thousand reasons right now why we should help them. But should I really get involved in this conversation or not? And I actually decided not to. But that whole day, I, I, I just wondered about that, that question. You know, I, like I said, I had a thousand reasons of why we should help people around the world. But I thought to myself, I wonder if there's just one like, specific reason that if I only had one shot to tell somebody why we should be concerned about people around the world, what would I say? You know that when I got home that night, I opened up my mailbox and, and in my mailbox was this letter from one of the children that my wife and I sponsor in Africa. His name is Matthios. And Matthios lives with his parents. He has five brothers, three sisters. He's in the fourth grade. He helps with farming and he's turning 11 on July 28th. Now I had just written to Matthios um, probably two months ago. And we had been sponsoring him for about a year. So when, when it first started off, we were writing letters asking them, you know, how's your family? How are you doing in school? What do you like to play? That kind of stuff. But as we got to know each other a little more, I felt it was time to ask him. I, I said, Matthew, through a letter, I said, Matthew, can I ask you a question? I said, have you trusted Jesus in your heart? You know, I, I love sponsoring you and making sure that you have food and water and education and all that, but I want to make sure you know about Jesus. I put some Bible verses in the letter. And I waited to hear back from him. I had gotten a lot of letters from Matthews over the past year, but this one was totally different. Listen to what he says. He says, Jeremy, Jesus Christ greatly changed my life. And we now have a Bible in home, and we read it at devotion every evening and every morning. All family, brother, sister, father, mother, and me read the Bible every day, and we also believe every word. That was my answer. That was my answer of why we shouldn't just keep the gospel of Jesus Christ confined to the country of America. Amen? That was the reason. Because people like Matthews are coming to know the love of Jesus Christ. They're also getting rescued from poverty and changes happening even in the most forgotten places in the world. We could discuss all day about physical needs and specific strategies for relief and development and building projects and hygiene and food distribution and medical stations, school buildings, clean water, all that stuff. But when it really comes down to is that a child living in poverty or a child living in wealth is a child who is lost unless they know our Savior Jesus. The God that I serve, and hopefully you serve as well, is not confined to one country in the West. To believe that we should only be concerned with fellow Americans rather than helping around the world is to suggest that 95% of the world's population does not count. 
The Bible that I read is, tells us to go into all nations. I, I want you to understand this, that similar to Jonah being called to an area that he did not want to go, we have to wonder why should as Christians in America, if we're called to go, why should we go? Here's number one in your notes. The USA makes up 5% of the world's population. 5%. If we fail to send missionaries into the nations and we fail to support children living in extreme poverty, then we are designating 100% of our resources to 5% of the world. Did you catch that? If we designate, if we fail to go into the world, we are designating 100% of what we have been given to 5% of the world. That's not what the Bible says. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. Matthew 28.19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that this does not mean we ignore the poor in America. That guy was right at Panera Bread. We do have problems in America, and you know that. But we also have every single day as Americans, when we wake up, we have an opportunity to do something about it, don't we? With the way that we live our lives. That number should put it in perspective as to why we should help the nations. So what is required of us? If, we're, if the Bible's saying go in, into all the nations and, and make disciples, what's really required of us? Here's number two in your notes. Jonah's decision to travel to Nineveh required a willingness to go. Jonah 3, verse 2, it said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. That sounds great, but if, if Jonah wasn't willing to go, which at first he wasn't really willing to go, right? Some convincing with a fish, you know, he ended up going. The second thing, Jonah's decision to travel to Nineveh required obedience. Jonah 3.3, 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Again, it took some time, but he did end up obeying. That word there is obedience. The third one in this section is, Jonah's decision to travel to Nineveh required faith. You see, if God had mercy on the Ninevites, this meant an end to Israel's favored standing with him. So Jonah had just rejoiced in the deliverance from death, but now that Nineveh lives, he prefers to die, right? At this point in the story, he is lacking a lot of faith. But faith is definitely required of this mission. Number four in this section, Jonah's decision to travel to Nineveh required no more running. <laughs> Jonah 4, verse 10, it says this, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah is upset that this vine died, and God explains that he did really nothing to help it grow. So if we're going to grow in our faith, we must stop running from God when he leads us into new territory. Finally, for this section, the last part is no more hiding. Jonah's decision to travel to Nineveh required no more hiding. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Psalm 139. 
starting with verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide Hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Guys, Jonah couldn't even hide in the belly of a fish, okay? He couldn't hide from God. So as God calls us, wherever he's calling us to go, we must remember that we can't hide from him. If the church is going to effectively reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus, we must be willing to replace a couple things. This is number four in your notes. We must be willing to replace patriotism to just a country with lives surrendered to the kingdom of Jesus. Let me say that again. We must must be willing to replace patriotism to a country with lives surrendered to the kingdom of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I love our country. I know you do too. I'm so thankful for the men and the women that have given everything for our freedom. But guys, with freedom comes great responsibility. And and my allegiance, and I hope yours is too, but my allegiance is not to a country that will fail, but rather to a king whose kingdom will never fail. And we've got to make some changes to get there. Number two in this section, if, we're going, if the church is going to effectively reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus, we must be willing to replace consumerism with generosity. This is the opposite of the American dream, right? This is the opposite. This probably isn't the most popular thing to be talking about on the 4th of July. But you know what? Did you know that last year, we had the opportunity to end world hunger? Did you know that? We could have fed the entire population of the world. We could have given food to every single person for an entire year. The amount of money that would have cost is the amount of money that you and I spent on ice cream last year. That's how much it would have cost. The amount of money we spent on ice cream last year, that's what it would have cost to end world hunger. Now, why are there still hungry people in our world? Is ice cream bad? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but do you get my point? I'm not saying don't eat ice cream. I'm just saying let's think about what we're spending our money on. Are we still spending 100% of what we have on 5% of the world? The last part of this is that we have to be willing to replace materialism with missions. We gotta change our thinking. We gotta stop being so concerned about things that we have in our lives that will eventually, the Bible tells us, is just gonna turn to rust. We gotta stop hoarding these items and putting value on these items that will fade away and rather live our lives missionally. The Bible talks about us being a city on a hill, right? 
about shining our light in the darkness, sometimes I think we have to make sure that the American flag is not covering up that candle. We got to be willing to shine that light bright and tell people about Jesus. Just like Jonah, he said, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I, I won't go there. Remember when I said I promised not to get involved in Haiti? <laughs> if you were here in March of this year, you heard us share briefly about our story with Haiti. And basically, we went there in August for 10 days like I said we would. But when I got back, I remember sitting down with my wife and I told her, I said, Kat, we have got to do something about what I saw there. We've got to do something about it. Within a couple weeks, she went and she quit her job. And a couple weeks after that, she packed up her bags. A couple weeks after that, she moved to Haiti. January came. She was still in Haiti. We were on tour as a band in New Zealand for about a month. January 12th hit. Bam, earthquake 7.0. Wiped out most of the country. We got a call that that most of the country had been leveled by this earthquake. They weren't able to locate Kat. They weren't able to, to find the children that she was with. They said, just start praying. Praying is what we did. We asked people to pray around the world. We found out later, thousands and thousands of people in all different countries around the world dropped to their knees and prayed until they found out that she was okay. Three days later, we got a text message that she was okay. The orphanage had damage, so they were sleeping in tents, but her and all of the children were protected. Similar to Jonah, at the time of her going there, we didn't have all of the answers. We still don't. We were just trying to follow God's voice and be faithful as he provided the next step. That's where we are now. I travel back and forth. She, she's there long term, and, and I travel back and forth so that I can come here. And my role in this is to be a voice for children that would otherwise go unheard. Now, guys, I really don't like being away from my wife for two months at a time, and she doesn't like it either. But we really don't like seeing children die for the lack of clean water either, amen? And so because of that, we gotta do something about it. Last March, we shared the concern about Haiti, the, the children that we were working with there. Kat right now is in Port-au-Prince, working in six different communities around the city, still finding children that have been orphaned because their parents died in the earthquake. But I wanted this morning just to say thank you. Because last March, your church responded in helping 50 of those children. 50. 50 families in this church said, that's not okay that that child dies for the lack of clean water and food. That's not okay. If you said yes in March to sponsor one of these kids, your money has been going towards food and clean water and education for these kids, trying to get them back in school but also Bibles translated into their language, new school uniforms. If you've been writing letters to your, your child, if you received a photo, Kat was the one that took that photo for you. She's the one translating the letters so your child can understand what you're saying. <laughs> In addition, the youth group of this church decided to hold an event called Dodgeball for Haiti. Through this event, they raised $2,628 to help the people of Haiti, but it gets better. That was matched with a, a matching grant fund through Food for the Hungry, and, and the youth group of this church, their money was turned into $12,614.40 to help the people of Haiti. Change is happening, guys. 
Again, I want to say thank you for doing that. I know there's a group of people going over, coming up soon to Haiti, and they made mention of signing up to go later this fall. If you ever get the chance to go, I encourage you to go. Kat really wanted to be here today. I told her about your church sponsor, 50 Kids, and she said, man, I, w- I wish I could be there to thank them in person. There's a lot of work to do in Haiti, so she's still there. But we grabbed the next best thing, and that was to, to have her film a video for us. And this is Kat and Haiti saying thanks to you guys. Let's watch. sponsoring 50 children. That was awesome. Um, we are in a new community that we just started today, um, getting more children enrolled in the system. So it'd be fantastic to, to see your support continued and more children coming in through your church. Did you like the little guy with the shovel? Even the kids are rebuilding Haiti, man. It's awesome. I wanted to close out our time today with a couple questions. These are just questions I want you to think about. You can write them down if you want to, but, but at least just think about them. I want to know what is God telling you specifically this morning after what you've heard? What is God telling you to do? Has he been working on your heart for a while? And be honest about this, have... If so, have you been disobedient? Has God prompted you to go somewhere, do something? It doesn't have to be the ends of the world. It might not be Africa. It might not be Haiti. It might be walking out your front door. But have you been disobedient? If so, what can we do to change that? Here's another question. If God did call you to the ends of the earth, would you honestly go? Would you go? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and he fought it for a long time, but he ended up going. What if God told you to invest in the life of one child living in poverty? Would you find a way to do it? Many of you did in March. If you haven't yet, would you find a way? We're going to visit a community in Mozambique in October. 25,000 people share one clean water well right now. 
That's like us sharing our sink with 25,000 other people. Change has got to happen there. If you're able to help one of these kids, there's a table in the back with some really great friends of mine that would love to help you out. If you didn't have this opportunity last time, or you thought about it now and you're like, hey, I want to do something about that, would you consider sponsoring one of these kids? We have kids from Mozambique and also Haiti. They'd be happy to help you over there, and they have a free CD for you to say thanks. There's also a jar there if you would prefer to support Cat in Haiti as a missionary. Feel free to contribute there as well. I'm hoping that whatever that calling in your life is, I'm hoping that it doesn't take getting swallowed by a big fish to, to get you there. <laughs> but God has done it before, right? We can, th- we can find a thousand excuses not to to trust God in this. But find one reason why you can. That one reason might be the life of a child. I thank you guys so much. I want to pray just to close us out today. And thanks again to your church for what you've done and what you'll continue to do. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. I thank you for this church and their commitment to helping people not only here in America, but also around the world. And God, on this 4th of July, as we celebrate freedom as Americans, I pray that that freedom would turn into a response to help the nations. Jesus, please bring help to Haiti quickly. Please help children in Mozambique, Africa. Send help quickly, Jesus. We trust you in that. Thank you for who you are. In your precious name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys.